On December 18, 2010, SDC Executive Director Laura Penn sat down for a one-on-one conversation with directors Rob Ashford and Michael Grandage to discuss artistic leadership in contemporary theater. Hello, I'm SDC Director Daniel Sullivan, and you are listening to Masters of the Stage. This program is produced by the Stage Directors and Choreographers Foundation and presented by SDCF and the American Theater Wing. The SDCF has released these archives in an effort to further education regarding the crafts of direction and choreography. Because this program was not initially recorded for the purpose of broadcast, it is not of the highest technical quality. Portions of the conversation may have been edited to improve the overall quality of the broadcast. Thank you for being here. Um, And thought we might start, begin at the beginning. Um, One of the things that uh, is interesting to me is both of you were um, raised in small towns, West Virginia uh, and in um, Penzance, and I'm just wondering um, if there was... It was Penzance, but I'm amazed you knew (laughs) that. It was, it was. West Virginia is so small, it's just the state, not even a town. The state is a small town. It's West Virginia. Um, But I'm wondering uh, if... uh, how theater, where theater, where that came, and was there um, something in this small town upbringing that uh, your, attracted you to your the stage? Well, your my, my, the small, my small town is in a, in a county, Cornwall, where there, was, there is no, or when I was growing up, there was no theater at all, professional theater. We had the, uh, we had the very first ever Royal Shakespeare Company small-scale tour in 1976 come to the county, which was the first, literally, like a group of... Um, travelling players arriving in the county that had never had uh, any professional theatre for many well, forever and so I saw that and um, we, had, we had quite a big amateur circuit down there I, I, I don't know if that's the same here but there's a big amateur circuit generally in England and um, through school really, it was school local art centre and then the arrival of um, the RSC one year, um, I remember it was a it was um, a company coming to do Twelfth Night, and it had um, at the time just actors who worked regularly. But but um, uh, Toby Belch was Ian McKellen turned up turned up in my local town just mm. in God knows when, and um, and uh, it was uh, it was a sort of that was a kind of moment where I thought. You know, I want to be part of that. So it was one of those things where, um, yeah, where we had to we had to make we had to find it. I think the thing that's interesting is I don't know why we ever get. I don't know how the. I, I never quite know where it starts. You say mm. where does it start? Yeah. It sort of just starts mm. with something at school for me. Is that what it is? Yeah. We had I, in Beckley, West Virginia, where I grew up, there was an uh, an outdoor musical drama in the summer, uh, the story of the Hatfields and McCoys, <laughs> running in rep with the story of the birth of West Virginia, which was like a Civil War drama called Honey in the Rock. And they ran alternate nights and outdoors, non-professional. And um, uh, so that was the thing in our town. Every every summer you'd go see that. And I just I was just fascinated by it and mesmerized by it. And it was a family event that you'd always go. And I just, uh, when I my senior year in high school, I just got very bold and I because I was I was president of the thespians at my high school, <laughs> so I went to the artistic director of Hatfields and McCoys, John Benjamin, and said I'd love to be in your show. And he's like, "What can you do?" Because I, I couldn't sing or dance because I hadn't started dancing then. And uh, I said, "Well, I'm, you know, president of thespians, so I can act, I guess." So he he hired me as an extra. I got twenty five dollars a week, and I uh, had a two lines and a really good death scene uh, the youngest McCoy boy uh, but uh, Calvin and my best line was Alifair throw some wa- water on it or something like that anyway they burned our house but anyway so it was it was you know what it was for me it was like it's the idea of escaping yeah. it, the idea of the history of it you know to see a civil war drama acted out and the idea of somehow going back in time I remember loving that there was a show on television 
when I was really young, I don't even think I understood it really, but called Time Tunnel. It was this traveling back and, and going to a different place every week. And, and I thought, wow, that, that was so fun. And theater allows you to do that. So there's something about that, the history part of it all, that I was always... But you had a title, enjoyed. president of the Thespians. That's yeah. a big I was. So that's a starting point for you. We also, I mean, there was, I, the, the, I, was, well, I was kicking around my, um, my town uh, after school and outside the, a local arts centre, which, which is now called the Acorn Theatre. It's still there. Actually, I think it's just closed, oddly enough, sadly, in the cuts that are happening over in England. Um, but um, I was outside it, and a, a woman just stood and shouted from the top step, what are you doing, boy? Uh, and, and come in here and help build a set. And that's, and that's how I actually got in. That was the very, very start of it all for me, which was a woman who then very much with her husband took me under their wing uh, and saw something, something going on that said, you should just, rang my own parents up and said, uh, listen, your son seems to like coming to the local arts centre. We'd love to... Ju-. And out of that came something where they started started what it was for me and Rob then you went to law school is that I was going to be a lawyer uh, I was at Washington Lee University in Lexington Virginia um, and uh, my advisor said that to be a, uh, an attorney I should either major in English or theater and since I was president of the thespians <laughs> I chose theater and I was a very small college in a very small department yeah. but had a really great law or has a really great law school and so I, um, uh, you know, started doing that. And between Alifair, throw some water on it, and and getting to do all, getting to play Polonius in Hamlet, my freshman year of college, you know. So you, in a small department, you get to do all those kind of things. So it was just I was just bitten by the the bug, you know. So Michael, you then went to London to study acting. Yeah, yeah, that was the first big decision because one of the things I don't know about you but coming from where I came from there was no sense of what there was in the city um, for training at all it was I mean and a pretty good careers teacher trying really hard to find out remember it's Mm pre-computers so it's sort of it literally is letters to organizations in cities going can you send can you send us a brochure can you send us something like this out of that out of me expressing to a careers teacher that I would love to go into the theater I think I was, must have been the first person in that school, in that town, in that county to ever say that. And him, being a rather industrious individual, went about finding out what that, what that needed to entail. So really, a load of prospectuses for drama schools in London and outside London arrived, and I decided to take a year out and go and audition for, for them. And, that, and then got into Central School of Speech and Drama, which has a great... Uh, tradition of um, Olivier went there and um, Judy Dench and the people so I knew I knew about it um, I'm, I'm now president of Central School so stick mm. that <laughs> so, uh, so president of the uh, uh, never mind president of the thespians uh, um, so uh, um, so that was uh, what comes round comes round doesn't it so that's where I went for three years and um, that was the start so you both then had considerable careers as performers. You went on to become... Well, I don't know about considerable. Mm. Define considerable. Yeah, well, you <laughs> we, did. We, we did. Well, we had 12 years as a performer, yeah, which, yeah. I, which I partly I enjoyed, and then as, it got el- as I got older, became less um, satisfying for me. Yeah. Well, when I, fi- when I did start dancing, and after two years at WNL, I went to a college in Pittsburgh when I decided I wanted to be a dancer at 20, uh, to go to and to, to study dance properly and uh, uh, all I wanted to do was dance on a Broadway show that was my only goal I just wanted to dance in a Broadway show and, uh, and then moved to New York and, and was very fortunate and, and got to do that for a number of years and then um, I, I, I don't know that I ever knew that I wanted to do the other like I, when I was in Crazy for You I choreographed our Gypsy of the Year thing or things like that but that just felt like what you do in the show. It didn't feel like what, like a, a job. But then I was the dance captain for Kiss of the Spider Woman. And, Rob, and they, they set a company in Argentina. And Rob Marshall was unable to go. And he asked me to go stage the show. And to be there and to be on this side of the table and to try to, to teach that and to teach a show like that. Uh, and I, I really loved that challenge. 
And so that's when I started, my head started spinning about thinking, well, I wonder if I should, I should maybe try to choreograph. So, so Rob saw that potential in you. Michael, is there someone who, as you were uh, an actor, um, looking for, maybe looking for what the next thing would be, saw something in you that led you to directing? Was well, I was, always, I was always an actor who took far too much interest in other parts of the process and not enough in my own, <laughs> in my own, uh, in my own development as an actor. I mean, and, and, I, and I was aware of that from the beginning. There was something that was... I was in that respect, I think actors need to be... Um, and all good actors are um, vain, which is an important part of. I think it's an important part of an actor's makeup. If the vanity is well focused, it's a sort of vanity about how can I be better, not a vanity about how beautiful am I. It's, it's about looking at something and seeing something beyond what they see into something internal that requires a sort of single-mindedness about your own performance. And I never had. I, I never had it enough that I was always more interested. In, well, I was more interested in other people's performances and and in and in and in the structure of the thing I was in, how it was working, or why, it, or more importantly, why it wasn't working. The frustration about being in a show that didn't feel like it was being that it was landing in some way. So, the, all the best actors I've ever worked with are sort of remain when all the crap starts going on. They remain focused. Yeah. And I was—I knew even from an early age that, I, that my focus was that, that could be better, that could be better, that blah 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 blah. blah. And actually, I wasn't—I wasn't focusing enough on on myself. I don't think looking back on that. So that that led me to believe that the um, that directing was probably a natural place. I was also—I never thought I'd say this for a long time—but I, I benefited from having quite excruciating stage fright. And had I not had it, I probably wouldn't be sitting here as a director. But because I had it, I had to deal with it. And it got worse, and it, it became something that, in the end, was intolerable to just get up to. You could, it, was, it was impossible to go on, so um, I, I had to look for something else to do. So that was quite fortunate. <laughs> so, Rob, then, and I am sort of fast-forwarding through yeah, these, yeah, really, right. because we, we want to be sure to have enough time to talk about the craft of directing. But you then went from choreographing to... Directing. That's because uh, I was doing, uh, in in London, I did a production of Guys and Dolls directed by a guy named Michael Grandage, and I was choreographing it. And... uh, And uh, we we got along so... We got along so well together, and we... we, I I don't know, I I learned so, so much. And he he said to me after the... After after we opened, and we were actually working on our next project, which was a Vita that I was choreographing for Michael. And... He said, you know you're a director who's choreographing. And I said, what do you mean? He said, you are a director who is choreographing right now. And, and I said, really? He said, you absolutely are. You, you should know that. And then, then he said, you know, if you were going to direct a musical, say at the Donmar, where he's artistically, <laughs> what would that musical be? And I, I knew immediately. I said, well, I was in a show at Lincoln Center called Parade that I loved but never was quite right. It never, it was too, it was too big. It was, there was something wasn't quite, but I knew the potential in that show was there. And then um, Michael said, I don't really know that well. He went away, he listened, he read, he came back and said, why don't you do Parade at the Dome And so that gave me my opportunity. That gave me my uh, chance. But that was, that was someone, someone seeing that in me. I, I, to be honest, maybe eventually down the line, I would have, you know, I don't know, it's a natural progress. Maybe I would have gotten bored with just choreography. I don't know, and I would have maybe tried to do that. But to have someone like that say point blank, "This, this, you should do this," then it was quite a wake-up call. It was quite it, it, well, it might have been a wake-up call, but it was very. It was very. It wasn't difficult for me. <clears throat> it was um, in that in that Rob's uh, dealing with. It was oddly enough. It was. It, it, I always think direct actors decide if you're a good director by watching you give another actor a note, not by giving them the note. Uh, it's, it's, you, you can give them a lot of... There can be a lot of collaboration between an actor, but they don't necessarily decide that they're going to give you their trust until they see you talk to somebody else and hear, hear it objectively. Mm. They, and, that's, and that's how... I mean, I think the majority of directing with actors is earning their trust and it sometimes takes 
a while and sometimes it happens quickly depending on the actor and depending on the relationship but it's about watching it's about watching others as well I think in the case of uh, this story with guys and dolls I, I was just very it was very fascinating watching Rob in, he was choreographer but he was interacting with the actors in a way that was entirely like a director interacts with actors so when somebody and I remember very specifically we had Jane Krakowski in it playing um, Miss Adelaide and she asked a question of we, we, we gave her I can't even remember specifically. We gave her a book at one point and asked her... In fact, it's the book that she sings from, uh, when she's referring to the book where she has the cold, uh, the manual. We gave her the book in the opening scene, didn't we? And, she, and, well, you, we and I remember her saying to you... Uh, we asked her to sneeze. We asked her to, to, start the, to start the dancing of the overture was her sneezing. Uh, chew, and then that raised the curtain. That's right. That's that raised right. the curtain on the ensemble. Somehow it was her sneeze. It was yeah. her kind of coming across That's from right. the guy. And, and so we put and the, the question was like... Um, her question was like, "Why? Yeah, why, why am, am I starting sneezing? to sneeze? Yeah. Why am I sneezing? Why good, am I here? Why good am I sneezing? question, though. Yeah, why? A, a great question, a proper one. And I think, I think, what well, I think I said was like, "You're on your way to the doctor to get the book." Yeah, that's right. Oh, that's right. That's what it was. You're on the way to the doctor to get it the book. Was, and she went, "Oh, of course." Yeah. And then, yeah. and then she nailed that beat, and it was actually valid enough to start to raise a curtain. Or like, if, you're you gonna, if a director is going to give an actor <clears throat> something to do that is outside of the actual brief of the role as it sits on the page or in the text, you have to be damn quick and careful about what that motivation. You have to be ready for a motivation. You have to give you have to give them something mm. to work with. Mm. That's just one example. I don't know why I always use that example, but it's one of hundreds of examples where he would give a an emotional and intellectual motivation for something. So it wasn't just about just dance it and or just do this here or just do this for us. It was about we would like this to happen and here's why and let's have a dialogue about it. It was very 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 clear to me that it was a director working with them rather than just a choreographer working with them. So so it was an easy it was an easy leap from that to parade. Clearly relationships have been critical to your career development and your path. Neither of you studied directing academically, formally. Um, Curious about what um, benefits that may have brought your career or challenges? Well, I always say, everybody always says, do you think it makes you a better actor? Uh, Sorry, a better director being an actor. And I have to always say that the best directors I worked with were never actors. So I don't think it, I don't think it necessarily is a is something that is a, is crucial. Mm-hmm. I worked with many directors when I was acting, um, and they were all, uh, or not all, some of them were terrible, uh, uh, but but a lot of them were very very good, and none of them were actors. But it does it definitely gave me some an insight into an actor's process, which I can which I find helpful mm-hmm. and can use. And I think you do too. Don't well, you? well, one thing I learned, I mean, I, and I, somehow I missed this, and I know no, it wasn't because. The directors that I worked with as a dancer, and I worked with some great ones, so I know that it's not because they, I just didn't pick up on it. I just wasn't aware. But, but when I started working with Michael uh, and, and Christopher, who's the designer uh, who did Guys and Dolls and Evita and, and everything at the Donmar that I've done, and is a brilliant collaborator, and the idea that a musical is a play. And you have to, you can, you need to make sense of a musical, just like you make sense of a play. And for some reason, I'd kind of missed that in a way. Not 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 completely missed it, but somehow it was just all about the numbers and the dancing and the and the music and something about that, rather than trying to examine it, you know, like a like a play. And when you go and you try to do that, you know, with any musical, whether it's a broad comedy or something more serious like Parade or if it's Promises or whatever it is, you, 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 it opens up so many doors. And we're, you know, you're, we're in uh, um, pre-production now for How to Succeed. And, and it's, such, it's such a great show. But any time we get stuck with the dance, any time we get stuck with anything, we always like, okay, let's just go back to the book. Let's go back to the play and read that. And then somebody, somebody smart, and I have a great you know, group of people that, that work with me, somebody smart will say, well, that says da-da-da. And you're like, oh, of course. And then that informs. But I think a tendency, I just didn't realize that 
a, a play, somehow you buy that you need that, but somehow a musical, it didn't feel anyway, just, you know, that that counts as much, but it does, it totally does, so... We, we certainly have um, many formalized training programs for directors, and they're fantastic. Um, but I think uh, many people still agree that directing is a, a, a handcrafted art mm. form that in some ways is handed down, that mentorship um, is really important to the development of mm. the, the, the artistry of directing. Yeah. Um, and oftentimes I think there's more than one mentor in a career. Mm-hmm. It's hard to sort of singularly. Mm-hmm. But could you both talk about a, a mentor or two that was critical to your development as a director and what that looked like? Um, yeah, I mean, I've been lucky. I've had a lot of very strong uh, women directors who've taken me on. The very first person I went to talk to when I thought I wanted to direct was a woman called Pat Truman who ran a regional theatre in England, and I talked probably at her rather than with her telling her why I needed to do this thing and her response at the end was come and do a production then in my theatre and I did and that kicked me off and then another uh, extraordinary woman who ran Sheffield Theatre called Deborah Page came and saw it and she offered me a production in Sheffield, she then left, I took over I, I, they're, people, they're people who started me off and got me going I think there are I, I, in, along the way I found a few um, a few people who have become very important in terms of advice. When I was when I was starting, there was an extraordinary double act at the Almeida Theatre of Ian McDermott and Jonathan Kent all the way through the nineties, um, uh, just just into the turn of the century, and um, and uh, their policy there, which was first of all to be creatively very adventurous and um, artistically risky. Um, as, as artistic leaders was something that I that was very very important to my development certainly later when I was running buildings um, because they, they taught me in a way to uh, to lead which is to not try and work out what your audience want and give them what you think they want but to trust your taste so much that your enthusiasm for what you do will bring them with you so that if you if you really set an agenda for how your theatre wants to work and what you want to do in that theatre and you believe in it utterly, it doesn't matter how risky the programming is, if you commit if you somehow let that enthusiasm show and the passion with which you're doing it show, then they will then people will follow. Because actually, if you think about it, for not for us, because we're we're in the industry, but for for, for audience, theatre is it's a leisure activity, and they and they don't and they work in other jobs, and they want they want they want us to say, come and do that, come here. They, they they don't want to sit at home working out an artistic policy for a building. <laughs> <laughs> they, they 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 want to be led in some way, and um, and um, and that and so the, so McDermott and Kent were in a way big mentors in my life just in terms of what they and also they started my directing career in London by inviting me to be part of that um, that Almeida time that they were there and um, now I think I, it's interesting this play we did this last season on Broadway Red is there, it, 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 the reason it appealed was for all of all of that. It's about it's about somebody. It's about a young person who is in a position to be mentored, and the, it works both ways. Which is how how big and open are you as a young person to receive information, and how big and open is the person who can give it to give it. It's it, it's it was an extraordinary. Um, display, if you like, of, of, uh, of, of, of how it can work both ways. We always assume that, um, that uh, young people are hungry to be mentored, and we always assume that uh, older people want to mentor, but actually it's, it's giving up or, or passing on is something that some people don't find particularly easy, and some people don't find particularly easy to receive information. But somewhere in the dialogue that can happen between those two people, something can get passed and, and the older can learn and the younger can learn. Both can still learn and move forward. And I think um, 
we're now in a position slightly where we suddenly are, find ourselves in the older group. I don't know how it happened. <laughs> I, 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 sure I, it's a mistake. I, 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 I might not be speaking for you. I'm so sorry. Uh, and, and, you know, one's oh, got, yeah. and one realises one's got a huge responsibility there and, um, and um, one tries to make, make sure that we live up to that yeah. responsibility. I need to think about that, that kind of, the good one, that, what he's talking about, red, like the... the the elder and the younger, or the experienced and the not as experienced, somehow, if it's working well, it becomes a circle. And it's just like, then each informs each, you know. Yeah. So then it just becomes, and, and that's, I think, that idea of that spinning is when, like, you know, the real magic is created. That doesn't happen all the time, but, you know, when it does, it's just, it's, it's, it's thrilling, and it's, um, yeah, it's quite, quite exciting. I feel like, uh, I always feel so lucky because you know I moved I moved to New York with Kathleen Marshall. We moved to New York together. Her dad brought us into U-Haul from Pittsburgh, <laughs> and uh, Robbie was the dance captain of Drood at the time. And so, like you know, we would go to Dallas Barbecue for our early bird special or whatever, and then we would go second act Drood, and Robbie would walk us in. I've seen the Mystery of Edwin Drood second act. Quite, I could probably do it right here, <laughs> still, because we wanted to be in a Broadway theater, and we just wanted to be around it and be in it. And so we used to do that, and the other thing we did is we carried playbills for song and dance in our bags, because the dance was the second act. And, and Not that we didn't care about the song, because we liked it, because we'd seen it a couple of times, but we'd just stand outside. We, we knew exactly what time we'd go song and dance tonight. We would go, we'd stand outside, we'd have our playbills. Oh, going back in? And we'd go back in, and so we second acted song and dance... I could do that up here, uh, but uh, so, but, but, well, the the you know you know Bob Fosse you know like worked with Graziella Danielle and kind of handed it down to her, and Graziella handed it to Robbie, and Robbie handed it to Kathleen, and I was Kathleen's assistant. That was my first. You know, she was doing um, Kiss Me Kate, and she asked me to be her assistant. And so then I was her assistant. And so somehow that, that feels like that, that handing down thing is, is important. And, and it, it gives you strength somehow. And also you, you learn. You learn from these people, you know. And, and I learned so much from Kathleen and from Robbie, too, both of them. Amazing, but also, you know, as a friend and, and also as a, as a leader and a teacher. And then also, to be honest, I mean, to get to do Kiss of the Spider Woman and... Um, parade with Hal Prince and the thing about Hal Prince that I learned was like oh my god a person with a vision a a complete vision from beginning to end and everything has to funnel within that and I thought that that was thrilling because I'd you know I had worked with other people that maybe the vision wasn't as concrete or wasn't you know so that was thrilling but um, but I mean to be honest, this this gentleman here is the, is the biggest influence on me and to me, and I've learned so much with him and through him and watching his work. And it's amazing. I'll never forget sitting before I was going to do, you know, before we were going to interview, because I was an interview for Guys and Dolls. I went to see a production of um, Suddenly Last Summer. Right, mm-hmm. that's it. Suddenly Last Summer. I always get summer smoke. Uh, that that Michael and Christopher had done in London. And it was so amazing. It was so good, plus Tennessee Williams, which I love. So, and then I, I, I was so, so blown away by it, but I thought, you're just really blown away because you love Tennessee Williams. So then after I got the job of, uh, of Guys and Dolls, but before we started rehearsal, I saw Michael Christopher's Don Carlos. And so... Um, Anyway, it's like when I say grace at Thanksgiving, this happens. The thing thing that always gets unsaid, if I may just say about mentoring, is how much you... I I always think it's the unspoken thing, is how much the younger person plays in the role. Everybody always goes on about about the, the, the responsibility of the older person and that it's all about passing on, but in a good relationship, the older person learns as much from the younger person or the newer mm-hmm. person. It mm-hmm. doesn't need to be young, it needs to be new. You know, and it works both ways. Not that you aren't. <laughs> uh, Question. <laughs> um, uh, it, it's one of those things that you just... Um, it, it's, it's the most thrilling... It's the most thrilling thing because actually we are in a profession that's about collaboration. That's, I believe... 
I'm not that interested as a director in just the auteur directing of this is a vision, you all fit into it. Disregard for um, people and and talent and just making sure that actually it's all channeled in that one thing I think the, one, of the most, one of the most exciting things when I, t- when I became a director nobody told me this because you're right I have no training as a director and I'm not sure even if it necessarily comes up in training but the big thing is the joy of collaboration oh the it's joy true. of the collaborative process of yeah. sitting down, talking with designers, lighting designers, composers, before even the actors have come in. Then you have the actors to collaborate with. Mm-hmm. It's the most amazing uh, journey, a privileged journey, actually, that you, mm-hmm. that you go on with a group of people who want, who want to interact with you and you want to interact with them, and together you've got one focus mm-hmm. to create a piece of work mm-hmm. by a certain date. That's the, yeah. that's the one thing. That's the one thing we all share in common. When you sign some contract, or even say something that is contractually committing you to, on a certain date, we will make a piece of work happen and present it to an audience. And that journey from how you start to how you arrive, I think every director probably has a different process. Mm-hmm. There are yes. there is many directors in the world to get from that point to that point. Um, and as many directors present as you can possibly imagine. But the one thing we all share in common is that at a certain point we open there. it up and we present it yeah. to an audience. And, that is a th- uh, and I find that journey inspiring. Mm. Well, speaking of, of process, I'm curious how you all approach new projects. Mm. Um, you know, certainly uh, it's often talked about, you know, actors have toolboxes, managers, you know, do budgets and timelines and figure out how to, you know, do plans. Um, do directors have a toolbox? Do you... Mm. Um, have a certain process as you're approaching a new project? Is it different for yeah. a play and a musical? Uh, I, it is slightly different, I think, for a play and a musical, I think, only because uh, I think the basic elements are always the beginning, the design and what you're trying to say and the vision and all of that. But I think in the practical sense of it, uh, when you're directing and choreographing a show, a musical, I think that, I mean, it's, you know, it's two hats, and I'd, I'd, I love to get personally myself I like to get going on all the choreography the, the physical part after the design and the casting and and the overall thing is I like to get going on the choreography first and get that because that defines a certain kind of uh, uh, style uh, vocabulary because I love I really prefer it when the choreography feels seamless with the show and, and the way it moves and it, you, so you design it so that it transitions, you have that in mind even when you do the design, hopefully. That's the goal, I think. And so, so we get going with that first. That's, that's the first thing to get, to get that going, get that vocabulary going, and then, and then start imagining, you know, I don't know, blocking the scenes or whatever. But also, I mean, I just think that's the more practical way. It certainly is for me. And, uh, and then also, like, you know, with my associates that I work with, then they, because I trust them, so much and they are so good then they can just take that dance room and then I can stay in that other room and, and we're, we're functioning as one and it's, it's just helpful under the you know, schedules that we're always under um, but, uh, but I mean I don't know if that's a toolbox providing but. structure is part of my toolbox when I go mm. back to those days when I said to you that I, I as, a, as an actor when I was frustrated it was frustration now I look back on really a director not necessarily providing a structure. I think actors, particularly in a rehearsal scenario, mm. like to know that there is that somebody's looking at the bigger picture yeah. for them. And I think that's one of the jobs mm. uh, of directing is c- coming up with, a, with with something that makes them feel confident that the bigger picture is is, is, is taken yeah. care of. And so, structure is important to me. I personally when I'm directing a play now I ask everybody to familiarise themselves with the lines before the first day of rehearsal that's part of bizarrely that's part of a structure that I think is important um, it's, you can't do it unless you cast quite well in advance because it's it's ridiculous to cast somebody quite late and then ask them to do that you've got to, cast, you've got to be ready to go good two months minimum I think with your final piece of casting in place to realistically ask anybody to look at and try and learn the lines um, before they start rehearsal. Um, 
But I do that because I don't want... I'm lucky enough to have about five weeks rehearsal for most of the productions mm. I do now, but I still enjoy doing mm. it in four weeks. We did Red in four weeks. Um, and because we decided it was two people and we could somehow manage that, and it was rather a thrilling journey. But within that four- or five-week structure, I think... Um, I, d- I don't, and I don't believe they want to spend four or five weeks learning lines. They want to spend four or five weeks throwing ideas around a room with me and with each other so that we can get the best out of the play and the best out of the performances that are going into the play. So that's one thing that's in my toolbox now. Somebody said to me the other week, what would you do if you really wanted an actor? But they said to you, I'll do this job, but I'm not learning the lines in advance. And it was a really difficult question to answer, actually, because I realised I... And it, it, was a, it was a bit of a wake-up call, because I realised I shouldn't get so stuck in my own structure and toolbox that I go, well, no, I can't work with you then. You know, it's important that you've got... You keep some freedom there. Um, but I also have to take on board that if I, if I were to go with that choice and everybody else was happy with it, how does that dynamic work within a rehearsal room where, where, where one the majority of the cast are all books down and ready to really rock yeah. and then one person is going this isn't my process because one of the things a director has to do is, acco- is accommodate every individual's process and every individual's process is different and somehow you've got to negotiate it and bring them all together in one production at the same moment and that's what the rehearsal that's what those four or five weeks is about but um but the lines so what, is a difficult so what thing. does what, what does a first rehearsal look like for you all is mm. that first and rehearsal. Dif- different for each show or is there some mm. i mean it's interesting because some directors do table work some straight up on their feet but it, oh. since well, I, I don't do a read through anymore yeah, well, yeah, I, I abandoned a read through about uh, about 10 years ago because i what I, something awful happened i remember doing a read through where uh, where uh, it wasn't a, a read through is never a level playing field because some people have got it all off and they want to show that what they've learned, what they've done. Some people are still thinking, I don't know who I am, I don't know what my character is. So they so, so they, and I watched somebody at a read-through totally lose their confidence because one or two actors were flying, just flying, and it was all making sense. And this actor who wasn't quite in that place, in fact nowhere near that place, lost even more confidence. And I thought, why do we do this to ourselves? We, they've all read the play at home. We all know what the play is. Um, the the, 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 the read through, I hope. Uh, 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 the read through is an important part uh, of the process, quite often for an author. I think that's where a read through is crucial. If it's, a yes. new, if it's a new play, the author maybe hasn't heard it out loud. And I think that's a facility you can offer them but, um, in some form. But I abandon the idea of a read through, and I also abandon the idea of round table work as well, because yeah. I, don't, I think it's not a helpful, um, it's not a helpful um, thing to sit around a table. We never do. In the final, the, the final thing is about being on a stage, interacting with each other. So I like all the discussion in a rehearsal room to come from that. Yeah. And the moment you're doing this yeah, with yeah. scripts and you're analysing and talking about it from this point of view, it's different from standing up and analysing it with each other from some, from a more active position. And I and I so there the there are some things that have developed over my yeah. process. Yeah, I agree about the the read through thing. I think, uh, you know, one thing with a musical that I, we, that I try to do, like at the end of the first week or maybe the end or the middle of the second week, is to when people have learned some music already and, and some steps have already been learned and some character work's already been done, then do a read-through because quite often everyone is so separate for so long. They're the dancers are in there and like, what are y'all doing in there? And the actors are in there. What are y'all doing in there? And it needs a moment of coming together so everyone realizes how important their part is yeah. to the other part. So, so, so the musical week and a half, try to just throw that together quickly uh, just so that everyone feels like, oh, I see, that's how that works. Otherwise, you kind of work in a, in a void at times. And the same, uh, before stage is seen, uh, we set the rehearsal room up exactly what it's going to be for the rehearsal for the scene, and then I have the actors sit in there, in the room, on the beds, on the sofas, whatever, and we read the scene once. Any, any big questions? Any big questions? And then we start putting it on its feet. But not like this, not at a table, and not with anything that feels formal or weighted down, like in the room, start figuring that out. And um, uh, that seems to... I also like talking about the process. A lot of directors don't like talking about the process, and I don't understand why it needs to be so um, 
secret. It's not. It's uh, the, the work we do is all about what we show at the end. How you, yeah, and so, as long as that has its own magic mm-hmm. and its own spirit about yeah. it, then that's fine. I mean, I I've just l- literally come here from opening a production of King Lear in London, and the mm-hmm. process there at the front end of it is a very straightforward process, which, like Rob says, is like we 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 sit down and read the first scene through just one scene then we go back and we translate it if you like into modern english so we under, so we ask the actors to make sure that they understand absolutely every word mm-hmm. uh, then the moment we've done that we get up mm-hmm. we stand it around and find a physical shape for scene one and then i move on to scene mm-hmm. two and then you come back in the second week of rehearsal and you should get through the first play like that in the first week and then in the second week of rehearsals I come back and we start really dissecting the play, but from a standing position because they've already got a physical shape. Mm. And that's just a basic Mm. approach to how... And it sounds so straightforward and simple, but it it just helps offer some kind of uh, structure to them about also going away from the end of the first week of rehearsal, feeling that they already own some part of the physical production that's coming their way because they're going to create it. And so mm. it's, it's just really about trying to give ownership. I think that you know, being a choreographer first and then a director, I think, most, I think a lot of actors worry that I'm going to choreograph the scenes. I think that that's a worry. And, and especially when, when I did Streetcar at the Donmar, like my first play. And it's, it's, so that, I think that is a worry. And I understand that potential worry. But uh, so what I try to do is... Uh, let the actors participate in that and I like, I like give three road marks along the way like by the time you go Stella, Stella can you be up against that pole and by the time that you when you slap him or you throw this down can you be near the door because that's where you're trying to get and by the end of the scene can the two of you be together at the table just these visual moments and also gives them something to just to, to help guide them so they feel like they got something to grab onto but it isn't I think of like yeah so, so they get something to kind of head towards to just help mold it, but then they find it themselves. And then, of course, as you keep working and running, then you start finessing and fine-tuning those things. You know? I think of myself as more of an editor. Like, you know, that, well, at a certain point, that's what happens anyway. Three weeks into rehearsal, they know they, they, it's their play. It's not yours anymore. You know, you just got to give it up to them. I mean, you know, they're going to know what Blanche is going to do more than you're going to know. But what your job is, I think, is then to say, well, listen, if you do that, what that means out here is that you're, that you're angry. And then when you, if you want to get angry later, I don't know, you're pretty angry already. So just so you know. You know, so, so I, just, I just think because then, you know, because they start embodying and you can't, I feel like it, it undermines an actor like week four, week five of rehearsal saying like, Blanche doesn't think that way, mm. you know, because you're like, oh dear, my Blanche does. Yeah. And then, you know, you just don't want to undermine, so you want to help guide that along the way, I think, a little bit. But, um, uh, and so, and I enjoy that process. Well, also actors are wary that you, they know you, if you've done your job properly, have come up with a vision. Sometimes we call it a concept, depending mm-hmm. on how high the concept is, the more mm-hmm. conceptual it becomes. But a vision, certainly, for how you want That's your right. production, and we do. That's our job. Yeah. We've got to come up for the, with the overview. And I think what you then have to somehow persuade the actors is that, that you're not going to just spend five weeks fitting them into your vision. So yeah. it's important That's that right. you... It, it's important that mm-hmm. your vision for the piece is able to accommodate everything that they want to bring to the table. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, for, I, it's, it sounds ridiculous, but I say on day one of rehearsals, there is no such thing as a stupid question in rehearsals ever because I think a lot of people feel that even the most basic questions sometimes can't be asked because they assume everybody else in the room has asked it of themselves and answered it and moved on but that's through but by not having something as open as that straight away then you can sometimes deny all sorts of people um uh, I mean, I have to say, that came out of a, te- a terrible incident, mm-hmm. which only I can take blame for, which was when I was running Sheffield. We were doing a production of a Shakespeare play, and, uh, and somebody <laughs> in the bar at the end, somebody in the bar had come up from London to watch it. They were congratulating this girl in the sh- show, and they said, I thought... I thought it was wonderful, and I thought the man playing your uncle was amazing. And she said... 
he's my uncle. And I thought, and I thought, how did we get to a place <laughs> where in the bar at the end of the run, at the beginning of the, the, the sorry, the end of the uh, rehearsal, at the beginning of the run, that we had never ever had a discussion where that person didn't know categorically that that person was her. You just go, that's, that's why there can be no such thing as a stupid question and why there can be no... The, the, the rehearsal room has got to be a laboratory for answering absolute, discussing, answer everything. It's got to happen. Probably but, not a bad thing to just live your life by no stupid questions mm-hmm. anytime, anyplace. It's, 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 <laughs> it's a good philosophy. Yeah. I think. And then what, I remember one specific amazing advice from Michael was you know, to do streetcar. There, I had this idea of, of you know. Of, of seeing inside Blanche's head it, with these ghosts that she sees her her lover, her husband who killed himself and the man that he was with and this kind of, and to use it transitionally also within the play uh, was the idea and I, yeah, I riffed through that idea with Michael and with Christopher and, and they both were on board with it they thought that could work, could be quite interesting but then Michael said but I just offered this up he said, don't start with that <laughs> Don't 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 start with that. Do the play. Get the play up. Keep that in mind. One, you'll decide by week three or four if you still want to go with trying it. And then two, let the actors get like firmly rooted before you start adding in something else. And it was such such amazing advice because you know it's even a sturdy play like Streetcar. You know, there's there's always questions. You like you don't know, and then you just don't want to upset the balance at all. So it ended up, I think, it feels like being something that was quite useful and helpful in the storytelling and it, and it worked but I don't know that it would have worked had I started with it it's, it's a one. good piece of advice for all of us all of yeah. the time which is yeah. don't let one's idea become bigger than the play mm-hmm. that's a quite crucial piece of advice I'm always giving myself when I'm going off on one mm-hmm. uh, you know you go don't, don't go off on one to the point where actually the play becomes becomes secondary to something that you've got an idea on that means you can't actually interpret the work I've, th- there's a chilling story because an actor can an actor can do it as well which is you can you can let an actor riff and riff and riff and go to all sorts of places but you should never let what what happened once not I have to say thank god in production I was directing but it could but it, we, we, it could happen to any of us which was in a production of as you like it uh, one of the actors playing Audrey went up to her um, director and uh, in about week three and said I just want you to know that I don't think Audrey would my Audrey would say this would say this line that, that Shakespeare has written <laughs> and, and the reason it's a great lesson is it's a director that, that little moment is a dire- entirely a director's fault it can't really be the actor's fault because the truth is any director who lets a rehearsal process get to a place where an actor is so is building a character in such isolation from the actual text that they get to a place where they believe the thing they're creating doesn't actually say the line that's written. That's a terrible place to be in. Um, And that's why no idea should ever get, or no character should ever get bigger than the play. We are, controversially, interpretive artists. Mm -hmm. We're not creative artists. We are interpretive artists with a huge creative brief, but we are interpreters. And our our starting point is the text, I believe. I mean, I'm sure others may differ, but, uh, well, I hope they don't, but but maybe you do. But uh, I think that's something to hold on to. For me, it's quite important. Um, I just have a couple more questions, and I want to open it up for a few minutes. Um, And I know we've got a time. We've got to watch the clock here, but... Um, both of you um, are, are are ambitious and have a kind of fearlessness. Um, I see in just your career trajectories and in, in talking with you. I mean, you, uh, you you put your you, you take that next step, and and there's something. What is what is that about? What is that drive about? What is it that sort of pushes you to? And now, you know, Michael, you're you're leaving the Don Mar to move on to other. Um, uh, forms and mediums and, you know, the next stage. And, and Rob, I was uh, counseling Rob earlier that he really should have a little more diversity in his career. He's, I'm getting pigeonholed. Um, you know, he, he works in all kinds of mediums. It's fantastic. What, it, what, is, that, what is that about? Where, where does that come from? God. I don't, I don't know if it's... 
I don't know. I don't know if it's from... It's not that I get bored quickly, so it's not that. I can't say, oh, I just get bored with that, so I want to do something new. It's not, it's not that. I, I don't know. I guess when I... This is going to sound so weird, but... <laughs> when, I first started, when I first started even imagining this part of it, like after those Spider-Womans, and when I was starting to say, well, maybe I should... I had this, like, box and I would tear things out of magazines or postcards or little inspiration box or pictures I'd see or anything. And it was, it was very specified to go in the box. It wasn't just random. It wasn't like I wouldn't also find a recipe in there. I mean, it was very specific, this box. And the box was quite diverse. You know, what hits you, what, what, what moves you, what interests you or me at the time. And... Uh, and then, and then when, and then suddenly, you know, you're able to to do this, and you're working, and 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 people are asking you what you want to do, and you're trying to find your inspiration. I I, I open up that box, and this is a box from for years, ten years, twelve, I don't know, ten year old box of tears and postcards, and and it, it, they're they're diverse, and so it's just like, well, what is this? Well, that's that's a dance, that's a that's a that's a ballet, you know, what's that? Oh, that's a show. What's that? Well, maybe that's a movie. I don't know what whatever it is, but you've got all these dreams, and I just want to try to, you know, bring them to life. And so they just happen to be, you know, from all different magazines, <laughs> in a way. So I just want to keep there's <coughs> something about moving forward, not back. That I, I have mm. a a fear, and I don't, and I've never really gone into it in any great depth about just hanging on to the past is not mm-hmm. never strikes me as being healthy mm-hmm. and I think it's partly because I you occasionally come across people who are living off their past a bit and I think there's a lot to be learnt from the past and I think one should learn from past and particularly one's past mistakes but um, I have an obsessive wish to keep moving forward and looking over my shoulder as little as possible mm-hmm. and I think that's the thing that motivates me um, trying to stay one step ahead of myself difficult thing to achieve that but Mm. just something that you just can keep just keep going Mm. are there questions yes common direction bigger healing time does it work can two directors come together to have one vision co-direction I'm just wondering if I am well, there is a sort of co-direction, I think, that goes on in certainly what, what, we, what we do and where we met, and I think why we get on so well is when we first met, we had two specific job titles, admittedly, and it wasn't co-directors, it was choreographer and director. But something in there, there is a form of co-direction going on in that, in that relationship that I love, I think we both love. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, uh, my only worry about co-direction everything by the way I ought to say and I think we probably both but everything I say is, to, is personal so I can't, I, it's not something that I believe everybody, <laughs> everybody should subscribe to uh, it's just a personal viewpoint I mean I think if we're honest about directing we have to believe we have to understand and certainly I'm being honest with myself I know it's about control a lot of it you've got to, you've got to be I think control freak is such a terrible word of the, la- of the last 20, 30 years has emerged. But whatever it means is it means you have, a, you have something about wanting to make sure you control the overview. Because if you don't, there isn't going to be anybody else around there who's doing it. And so it's, there is some element of a need for control as part of the job description, as part of the DNA of being a director. Mm-hmm. So co-directing suggests sharing that control, and I find that can... That possibly raises some issues depending on your personality mm-hmm. yeah. I can't actually sit here and know whether I'm big enough to co-direct mm-hmm. I, ha- I hope I uh, would mm-hmm. be mm-hmm. i tell you where it would work for me is in a new area of maybe where uh, one was breaking new ground and, and, and there was a director who came with different skill set that could that could support mine and mine could support his or hers and that we would work together on so I can see I can see an I can mm-hmm. see an example I can see an example of it mm-hmm. personally but right now it's um, right now it's difficult to think what scenario specifically yeah, yeah exactly that yeah, yeah. Sure. multimedia is a perfect example mm-hmm. 
where I where I'm not uh, I've <laughs> barely used um, 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 video or any of those things that are now available to us I use in a couple of productions we've done it but on the whole I always feel uh, there's a skill there that I could happily develop with another person jointly as well I've got no problem about that yeah I agree I, I think that I mean I, I love to work with my collaborators like so closely I mean I, 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 do, I do understand exactly what you mean but it's, it's got to kind of all funnel through somewhere this kind of kind of got to be a place that that answers the question if there is a comp- I, I think it can work I I, I I certainly do believe it could work in uh, I think even less the circumstance and more who the person is <laughs> do you know what I mean more your partner in it you know so I, I believe in it I don't know that it's necessarily right all the time and I don't think every pairing would work but it's so funny because I, I feel like my key collaborators like that you're working with so intently and intensely they're already in a way have that half ownership yeah you know yeah a part of that question if i'm honest also needs to be about the people you're working with it's it's about the focus for others people need something people need to know who is the person yeah all the people who are working, and not just inside the production, but outside, producerially, everybody. Where does the where does it stop? Yeah. yeah. Who am I talking to? Mm-hmm. Isn't there a rather wonderful? Uh, wasn't Kissinger once asked, "Do you prefer doing business with Europe or Russia?" And he said, "Always Russia, because I know who to call." <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I and I and I think there's an element of that in it. Yes, over here. Um, <clears throat> we've talked about your successes. Um, can you tell us how you've learned from some uh, that haven't been so successful? Really, in two part, I've seen some shows on Broadway that um, I'm not sure if were successful, and maybe some of the critics would say they weren't successful. But when you, as a director, when you're going through that process, it's you know, it's like it goes to Broadway and. And uh, how how come? I mean, that's a big question. How come it's not successful? Or does the director really feel it's successful and the the other people don't? I mean, Well, well, we've talked a lot this morning about process, and, of course, one never contemplates a lack of success or success either way when you're putting the work together. And that's really what this morning has been about, is dissecting the part, most of what we've talked about, is dissecting the bit before we open it up to the public. And at that point, I don't think, any, I don't think anybody ever contemplates in the process leading to that first performance and the result of the first performance. You don't sit ever going, is this successful or unsuccessful in terms of the bigger picture and how it's going to be received. You just honestly put on the work mm-hmm. and hope. You put on the work and hope it's going to work. Mm. Post-opening night, it's open for every single part of the debate. Mm-hmm. And you and it's that in the end is down to... I mean, on the whole, is down to taste. Mm-hmm. It's just taste. I always say to, uh, to the actors before we open that on any, on any one performance, if you're lucky, if you're lucky in B19... Somebody can be having their life changed, and on the same evening in B20, somebody can be losing the will to live. <laughs> <laughs> and that, and that, that's taste yeah. at some level. So when you say critics or, or, or audience, and some do and some don't, I, some of the things I'm proudest of have been the things that have been liked least. Mm-hmm. Some of the things that I think, my goodness, I can't believe I got away with something there, have been hailed. So, so it's taste I, I, I at some think, level. I think one thing is, if you cho- I, I think to choose a show, to do a show, to put your energy and focus and creativity in a show, I think the show has to be worthy. I don't think the show has to be perfect. No. And I think everyone, that's the big thing. You know, it's like you, you, a worthy production of a show or a show that has an element or two of something that is is worthy enough to put on the stage, whether that's a, a great actor and a perfect part for a great actor and an amazing score if the book's not great or whatever it is you know i mean it, it doesn't have to be perfect to do it it just has to be worthy and i think that that's 
the trouble sometimes. I think that everyone's like, oh, it's not, it's not perfect. The show, well, yes, I, I didn't realize that when I signed up to do this show, I was saying, I think it's perfect. I think I was signing up to say, I think it's worthy. Worthy to do. Worthy to do. Worthy to do for various reasons. And I just think that that's confusing at times, too. And that, that gets, you know, success or failure or whatever, that gets all caught up in that as well. And, and you know, so I think... doing a lot for the venue and also making my career and do I just do I just the venue and, and that's something that's really well, presumably the two at the moment for you are interlinked, aren't they? And, yeah. the, and that one feeds the other. Well, I think that's what's exciting. And at yeah. some point, you, you, dis, you, you decide you want to carry on being a producer-director or you just break free and just direct or just produce. But they, you, you've got, I would argue you've got the best of all worlds at the moment mm-hmm. if you're enjoying all of it. Yeah, I am, but sometimes I get, like, my producer head or for the venue, because it's a new venue. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I have to write grants, well i've made i've made i mean i i i'm i've tried to make it work mm-hmm. where the theater i run always has been my um has been the place i can do my work but also make the theatre run and invite others to be part of it. And It's a fantastic job, uh, having a theatre and being able to, you know... If you're a freelance director, you have to keep going around asking people if they'll take you, and if you're a, if you're a director of a theatre, if you want to do a play badly enough, you can do the play. You don't have to convince somebody that you shouldn't do the play, you just do it. Um, and, that's, and that's one of the joys of running your own theatre. But the flip side of that is go out and raise a lot of money, go out and meet a lot of people, go out and do a lot of marketing about who you are and where you are and why you're there, and make all that happen as well. But I think it's a good deal, that. I think it's a good deal for all the work that one needs to invest in that, um, if, the, if the other is that you have a place you can do the work you want to do, then that's a fantastic... Um, it is, it's about balancing, and I think that happens no matter what. I don't run a theatre, I don't run a building or anything. Uh, and, but I, t- I have to say, it, I feel like even just to get a show up, get a, to rehearse a Broadway show, or I mean, you spend so much time in budget meetings and this meeting and that meeting, and I, I just want to be, be with actors in a room. I want to be with dancers in a room. I want to do, you know, I feel like, God, I get so little of that time. I have so much time sitting at tables. Yeah. I have so much of that time. I want more of the other, but it's just about trying to achieve the balance, you know. Yeah. And that's just up to you, and no matter what, which arena it is, I think, you know. When you're first approaching a production, how much are you thinking about, and in what ways are you thinking about the audience that you're preparing it for? And, you know, I'm thinking especially, are you approaching productions differently when you're working in the U.S. versus in the U.K.? Are you, um, and I was thinking about it a lot, especially since we were talking about you both being from smaller communities. And so does that, does the approach that you're taking with the production ever, is it impacted by an idea of who you would like to see or who might be? Um, it's quite a lot there. Just very quickly, um, uh, very quickly, uh, I never, I never second guess an audience because I just don't think you can, and you're on a hiding mm. to nothing if you try. So I think you always know that you're doing it for an audience, and that they are the other part of the equation that come in big time at a certain point in the process. Beyond that, I think you can't, st- you, for instance, for instance, you don't sit in rehearsal and when somebody is making a choice go, God, I wonder if that'll go down well with an audience. Uh, you, you just need to decide whether it goes down well with you in the moment mm-hmm. as a director and go, on behalf of the audience, this <laughs> unknown group of people who will, who will eventually see it, I have to say I don't know if that bit works or I do like that and I do like that. And that's why I come back to that gentleman's phrase there. It's about taste. It's, that's what our job is. We're hired to have a view 
and our view is to, you used a fantastic word about being an editor or an umpire or whatever it is, we've got all of this stuff going on in front of us and we can, we, it's, it's in the end it's about making a choice for them. Um, there was one bit of your question that was the second... UK and the US is fascinating to me because I've done two plays. I've done a few plays now on Broadway, but two of them have had a complete... The first, Frost-Nixon, in England, totally different axis as to how they approached that play because the president in the play was not of less interest or certainly not of less importance, but not the focus in England in the way the talk show host David Frost was. Their access in England was through one a specific character, which was the exact opposite character the, pre- the focus was in, in New York. In, well, as soon as we came over here, all audiences... By the way, this wasn't a surprise, but it was. <laughs> it, 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 I look back and go, why, was, why did I not see that coming? And, and it's so obvious now. But everybody in this country went in through, and why wouldn't they, through, through Nixon. In, in England, it was, through, it was less through Nick, the Nixon character. Similarly, last season, in red, um, uh, Rothko here, you know, from New York, means a massive amount here. Total different access to the way people responded to the play through that character. didn't happen in England, interestingly enough. England, it responded much more through the younger assistant character. Um, so, again, I don't know whether I... Did I do anything about it? No. I let the audience dictate the way both, in both times th- those two pieces went. So it's, it's interesting that, that those two examples are... Um, are uh, they were both very different in two countries, but beca- and because of the audience... So, Rob, I'm going to let, mm-hmm. let you respond to that, and then I'm going to play a little bit of stage manager here, okay. as we are. Yeah, well, I mean, I agree. It, 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 the audiences, you can't gear toward an audience. I mean, the, the hard part is to keep producers, often, away from you. <laughs> and making those kind of and making those kind of decisions about like oh you can't say that oh she shouldn't say that oh it shouldn't be cursing she shouldn't smoke do you think she shouldn't smoke because that'll be you know what about you know maybe that's like uh, and you can't have any kind of vision and if depending upon who your producers are or how vocal they are i mean if they if, if you build up a little wall around you to keep them away from you they'll go to the actor they'll go somewhere they will. <laughs> somewhere. Uh, if you're lucky and work with really good producers that, that let you have your vision and they're the ones holding everybody back. So, uh, and it's all different, you know. So when, when Michael's a producer at the Donmar, in my experience, he holds everyone back and lets you create and is a watchful eye and a guiding force. That, that's hap- that happens here too, sometimes. I mean, it has happened for me and I've been very fortunate and then sometimes it doesn't happen and and so it's just about gearing that don't let that that's not a, that's not a, an american british thing no it's that. not that's I a personal both things thing. happen in both countries. and i just think you just have to be aware of it you have to be yeah. really really aware of it and gear yourself accordingly you know because it is a big part of it especially new work especially anything new you know usually one of a lot of influences in there you know so you just got to try to so what's that. up next uh, or are you, Rob? Uh, how to Succeed here in New York. Uh, we start rehearsal on the 5th of January. Fantastic. And Michael? The production we've just opened at the Donmar of Leah is um, playing there, and then we do a, um, we're doing a live broadcast of it, including to cinemas in New York, oh, yes. uh, on February the 3rd. And then we're taking it out on a tour, and we are, in fact, bringing it to BAM as part of the tour. So that's next specifically for me, and then... Beyond that, um, I'm coming to do an opera at the Met here in July. Fantastic. Well, we hope this is part one, um, and we'll do part, part two of, of this bits. conversation <laughs> because I think it's just the I think it's I think it's uh, just the beginning. We we have uh, much more. I'm sure we would all like to hear. So, thank you for your time today. Yes, and thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Masters of the Stage. This program was made possible by support from Stage Directors and Choreographers Society, the National Labor Union, celebrating five decades representing the needs and aspirations of its members.